Hi, I'm Melinda, and this is the See Here Love Summer 2020 podcast series. In a year filled with protest, a pandemic, economic uncertainty, conflict and tension, we need to hear stories of hope, faith, resilience, and transformative change more than ever. So let's listen to brave people share their courageous stories now. Today, my conversation is with Paula Ferris, an ABC correspondent, former co-host of The View, and former co-anchor of Good Morning America. She's also written a book called Called Out. And Paula and I talk about what the difference between faith calling and vocational calling is. I had no idea the difference. She shares about her most personal, impactful interview, which I thought was the cast of The Avengers Endgame, but it's not. She also shares what she learned from Dolly Parton, her year of hell, what the purpose of work is, and how to be pruned so that you live out what God has called you to do. It's a great conversation that I know you'll be inspired by. You are seen, you are heard, you are loved by God. You're not alone, you're fully known, you are loved by God. Welcome, Paula Ferris, to See, Here Love. Love that we're kind of coming from our homes today. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Melinda. It's, uh, I'm so glad to be here. Obviously, I didn't know this was going to be visual medium. So for those that are watching, I just squeezed in a quick workout and I haven't showered yet. So this is me in all of my morning glory. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Let's just live in the reality and the authenticity yes. that we're all feeling right now. Yes. Well, I've written a great book, Paula, um, called Out. And that uh, I know a lot of our viewers and listeners are young, sort of millennial age, and even even Gen Xers, but everybody can can relearn. But one of the things I really loved about your story is that before you were, you know, a national correspondent and and speaker and someone sort of the face of, you did a lot of behind the work, behind the scenes, like I did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Why was that important? Like speaking to you know young people. That are saying, I want to be there where you are right now after university and college. What would right. you say was the benefit of you doing all the behind the scenes work and what that does building character? Well, I think it builds character, but I also think it makes you indispensable. Um, I, you know, for me, I was a little too scared to pursue on air work because I was scared of failure, scared of what people would think of me, scared that I wouldn't have the right words. So I, I think it was probably more. Um, related to my fear. That's the reason that I focused on production work, producing, editing, shooting, uh, writing, all of that. And then, um, but when it was time for me to face my fear, finally, like uh, about 20 years ago, to really go for it, it was because I had learned all of those skills along the way that I was able to kind of rise the ranks pretty quickly because I knew how to shoot, edit, write. It made me a better reporter, a better anchor, having learned a lot of those skills and those skill sets. So I think it, it, it helps you kick the door down a lot quicker. Um, and I just think people want to see that you are willing to put the hard work in. I think it's very revealing of your character, whether or not you want to do the hard stuff, because that's what life's about. Life is about doing the hard stuff and realizing that this is might just be a season. I mean, there is a season after college where I was working three jobs, including I was working at a fast food restaurant, I was cleaning apartments and I was working in video production. And I knew that that wasn't gonna be the rest of my life, but I knew that it was building character 
And I needed to prove myself to other people as much as I needed to prove myself to myself. Yeah, that is really good. I think for me, when I started, like I've been in broadcast, it seems like 20 years. Like I, when I first started, they put me in the basement transcribing, labeling videotapes, doing streeters. So my face wasn't on the screen at oh, all. Oh, yeah. But it built, yeah. you know what, you're right. Like not only just building character, but learning the trade, the craft of the job so that when I did launch so true. my own show, I was pretty equipped. I, I, I didn't know how to do a lot of things, but because of the skill, I was able to kind of quickly pick it up and learn and, and knew the people who I could call to say, can you help me launch a show? So I yeah. think that was really, it was really good for me at this age and stage to have all of that, you know, work, hard work behind me to then be able to be where I am today. Yeah. And, and I think not just, it's not important just to push through fear and to prove yourself to your, yourself and other people, but again, it makes you more valuable. Yeah. It's, if, they, if they know that they're, you know, you tick a bunch of boxes, it's a, it, that makes you indispensable, especially we're seeing the value of that right now. Yeah. Paula, from like one broadcaster to another, what advice? I mean, I love this. I'm always about learning. I'm always loving to be in this posture of learning. But what would you say to me and encourage me is I'm like, I'm host, showrunner, executive producer of the show, managing a team, fundraising, because we're actually a not-for-profit. Like we, we have to go out and get donors and sponsors for the show. What encouragement would you give to me? I'm going to learn today. Well, <laughs> no, well, I would just say like, um, there's, there's a beauty and in the space where you are right now, there's a beauty in having um, creative ownership over the space you're in. I mean, the higher you get, the more bureaucracy you're going to find. And probably you'll have to sacrifice a lot of your vision for what you're doing. And I think right now, this is such an authentic space because of the sweat and tears that you've had to put in. This is your space. You feel it you see it, you hear it, as opposed to, I mean, when I've, you know, I, tr I launched a faith podcast a couple of years ago with the network with ABC, and there's so much bureaucracy and so much red tape that sometimes it takes the joy out of it. Um, so I would just say really revel in the authenticity and the joy of, of this small, intimate team, and the clear vision that you can then um, you can carry out the vision, the exact vision that you want for it. That's good. I appreciate that. Thank you. Because I think sometimes in the small, I, I actually like it. Like we haven't, we're not huge, huge yet, mm -hmm. but the connections with our audience are beautiful. They're, they feel they can good. connect. We have access to them really easily. And we're seeing just the impact in Canada, but around the world in just being authentic on, you know, on so many levels. So that's good. Thank you. That's really good. Yeah, and, and it's all about the, those connections with people. The pe the yeah. It's not about how big you are. And that's the thing. The bigger you are, it becomes more about you and less about everybody else. You can have millions of followers, but if you're not making connections, then what are you doing it for? Yeah. So you're making connections and you're giving people a voice. You're empowering people. And that's the most important thing. Thanks, Paula. I take that. You're welcome. I love <laughs> I'm always like doing interviews. And then I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I feel like I'm just going to, Ask people for me because, uh, you know, after a while, you're just like giving out, giving out and you're giving advice and you're mentoring like a nation, it feels like. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah. oh, I feel like I need that from peers and people who are doing the same work. Yeah, so I, for sure. I love that. You know, I'm I loved your story. I mean, your book is amazing. And leaving to yeah. jobs for true calling. I was talking to some of my girlfriends about it. I have these uh, this 
girl group that I meet with every two weeks and they're all in media, not in any sort of Christian media, but actually in more of like national media. And I was telling them about you and like leaving the dream jobs. They're like, that is amazing. Like do this interview and then send us the link because we want to hear about it. So Paula, I mean, I think for me, when I was reading, I never realized that there were sort of two different sort of faith vocation or faith calling and vocational calling. Mm -hmm. And I'm really fascinated about this because calling and purpose and passion. I mean, those are not only just Christian, you know, buzzwords, but buzzwords. And then everybody gets you know frustrated because a lot of people, and I found this in my girlfriends are frustrated because they don't feel like they're in their calling. They haven't done the great thing there are they pursuing what god's wanting for them and i've been seeing a lot of my girlfriends depressed and and really hard on themselves because they don't think they're doing what they should be doing and i think if you can kind of give insight into the difference between faith and vocation calling and how you've kind of found your way to sort of this true calling sure well you're right they're buzzwords purpose and calling and society throws them out there tells us to lean in. And it's almost always synonymous with doing, with career, um, with finding that one thing that we are supposed to do, right? Um, So our purpose and identity become caught up in doing and this one thing. And Melinda, when there is a shift in that one thing, that vocation, or we haven't found that one thing, we feel lost. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I bought that lie that my worth was work and my value was vocation and my calling was my career. And so I leaned in super hard And then I burned out. Um, And what I realized after I walked away, and granted, I write about it extensively, like I didn't, I kind of walked away kicking and screaming. I was like, God, don't do this to me. I was addicted to work, addicted to, that was my narcotic of choice was work. And when I walked away, I realized I just didn't know who I was outside of it. Even though for so long as a woman of faith, I had proclaimed, I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by who I am and I could walk away and I'd be okay. Well, when the rubber met the road and I walked away, I realized I had no idea who I was anymore. And that's when God really revealed that we need to like call, we need to contextualize calling. Okay. Cause we throw this word around. Yeah. Um, so we have two callings on our life. And um, I say, you have a faith calling or a purpose. And how often do we equate purpose with doing? We, we almost, uh, my purpose is to be, I thought for so long, my purpose was to be the best broadcaster. And notice when I experience a shift in that, because I think that's my purpose, which is not right, that's jacked up, then I don't know who I am. Yeah. So we have a faith calling or purpose, which um, never changes. It has nothing to do with what we do for a living. My faith calling and my purpose are to, is to love God and love people. That's it. Before I may have said it was to be the best broadcaster that I could be to glorify God, right? Mm-hmm. When that shifted, I didn't. I I was at a loss, identity crisis. So my faith calling is to love God and love people. Whether or not you're a person of faith or you ascribe to faith, you may say my faith calling, my purpose is to be a kind person, okay, or to respect people. Everything that you do, that is the reason you're here, okay, and it's to that is your purpose. Now your vocational calling is just think vocation vehicle. That's just the way that you're going to fulfill that faith calling and your purpose. It's the conduit. So whatever vocational branch you may be on, like for me, I needed a paradigm shift um, because it became so much about me and what I was doing in the accolade instead of this is the, these are the gifts that I've been given. And this is just the vehicle. This, this, this particular vocational branch that I'm on is just the vehicle by which I will love, love God and love people. It doesn't become so much about, it's not about me. It's 
what I'm doing and who I'm doing it for. It's the conduit. It's the vehicle. And so I liken the analogy to like a vine, a healthy vine has many branches. Your healthy vine is your is your purpose and your faith calling to love God and love people or to be respectful and kind, whatever you would, however you would articulate. And a healthy vine has many branches, does it not? Just think of that as your vocation, vocational branches. And you can branch out and you can do new things and you're not one dimensional. You're not this one thing for the rest of your life. Um, everything that you should, you do should flow from that purpose and that faith calling. And it gives you the permission to see yourself outside of what you do, knowing your worth isn't your work, but also to see yourself outside of that one thing that maybe you've labeled yourself as. For me, I said, I could never do anything but broadcasting. That's such a lie. Um, and then, you know, once you separated those two, then you have to ask yourself, okay, what, now that I know my worth isn't work, how do I determine vocational call? Like, what am I good at? What should I be doing? Um, and I think you have to ask yourself three questions. And those three questions I write about in the book, what do you, what are you good at? What do you love? And what do other people that are trusted in your life notice that you're good at and you love? You have to check all three of those boxes. It's not just enough to be good at it. You can't just love it. All three. What are you good at? What do you love? And what other people notice that you're good at and you love. And when you peel back those layers, Melinda, like for you, it's not that just that you're a good podcaster. What makes you a good podcaster? What makes you, you know, uh, you know, good at running a nonprofit? Like for me, what makes me a good broadcaster? Um, I'm curious. My nickname was Paula 20 Questions. I'd love to champion people. I'm a good, I'm an effective communicator. So all of those things um, made me a good broadcaster on that branch, but there might be more branches that God wants to use me in. And it doesn't have to just be in a broadcasting capacity. You could be used on a lot of different branches using those talents and gifts, but in many different capacities. It's amazing. I never thought of it that way. And I think that will help people kind of identify that because I think it's so confusing for people because they think it's the one thing. And I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I'm not trying to dis church culture. I mean, I've been, no. in it. I mean, I've been an MK and I've been a Christian all my life, but there always seemed to be this, this teaching that is the one great thing that you are going to do and pursue for God. And exactly. that so many problems for young women and men who have never felt they got it, they did it, mm -hmm. they found it. And I can see where there's been depression and angst and anxiety because of that. And so I think with you saying that, Paula, is like shifting and helping leaders say, don't speak that. I think what you're saying is really key about, you know, faith and vocation and those three yeah. points. I think was that interview that you did with David Shedd. Yes. Fun, yeah. I think was a fascinating um, yeah. interview with that him. was a huge that was an aha moment and like faith calling doesn't change vocational calling does right and I like what you just said with church culture I'm not trying to diss church culture but I will say church culture we got to stop throwing this word around yes without contextualizing it and we have to stop throwing around in a manner where we're equating our our career with our calling as if you said it's just this one thing no we are here to love God and love people that's our purpose awesome. to love God and love done the way that we're uniquely equipped and we all have unique talents and gifts. Those are the vocational branches on our life. But David Shad, yeah, that was my biggest aha moment. He was a former director of the intelligence agencies in the United States. So he oversee uh, at the time after 9-11, he was overseeing the FBI and the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. And he's he had felt called to go into government. So I said, I got to interview this guy. Like I'm so tired of people throwing this word around calling and how can we articulate it? He's the one that said vocational calling is those three things. What are you good at? What do you love? And what do other people that are trusted in your life notice you're good at and you love? And that was 
a huge moment for me. It all made sense. And I know like when God's calling me vocationally onto a different branch, I need to check those, those three boxes. Hey, it's Chris, friend of See, Here Love with Melinda. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but I just had to let you know that the only way that See, Here Love gets to produce fun and authentic conversations like this one is through your financial donations. So go to seeherelove.com and click on the big donate button. Thanks for your support. Let's get back to the show. People are probably going, this is all good. You guys are talking about this, but actually, how do you do it? And and you've done it. I mean, leaving two jobs, dream jobs, that people would be like, that is the pinnacle. That is where we want to be, leaving it for something different. Like, there's so much. I mean, I love the assault of the apple and the big apple, all those kinds of things I loved. But in, in sort of in brief, Paula, how did you do it? Because people are like, okay, I, I'm there. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm feeling like this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. How do you actually then do it and pursue the true calling? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, when I, I was very scared, I was scared and paralyzed by fear for a while, scared of what I was walking away from the height of my career. Like who does that? I was told that I was, would be crazy to do that by multiple people, including executives. And then scared of what I was walking into this unknown space. It's not as if I knew what the next, what the next uh, landing pad looked like. I had no, I didn't know what the next chapter looked like. I still don't really know what the next chapter looked like. But I think when you're faced with a decision like this and you can sense that stirring in your spirit, I believe that's the Holy Spirit, either giving you a peace or an unease. Um, I had a peace that I needed to walk away, even though it was crazy to me and it was crazy to the world. I needed to obey God. And um, I went, God really didn't get my attention until this season of hell. I went through a personal crisis and I write about it like five freak accidents and like, in a short period of time. And I knew unequivocally God was trying to get my attention, but um, still I was scared. Um, But I would just encourage people. If you feel that sense in your spirit, God's most likely speaking to you. I knew my, my values were clashing with the choices that I made. Everyone was getting my leftovers. Um, And, and that's, I don't think that, that God asks us to sacrifice everything, our core values in order to achieve that one thing. All right. But when you are faced with this and you know it's time for a move, I t- I'm going to tell you, you have to expect and anticipate fear to be present. Uh, you don't conquer fear. Fear isn't something that you champion and never have to deal with again. Fear is mentioned, I think, 365 times in the Bible. And God, God acknowledges it. And then he encourages us to press into it. And so I think fear and that peace in your spirit can coexist. They are not mutually exclusive. So many times we're like, oh, I'm scared. So that means God's telling me that I shouldn't do it. No, fear is not from God. Fear is from the devil. So expect fear, anticipate it. How's your, what's your gut telling you? Like, do you have a peace about this? I was so scared, but I had a peace. And I know that for me, what encourages me is the uh, Joshua one where God called Joshua to take down Jericho, but he had to circle seven times. I don't know why, but sometimes God just asks us to circle he doesn't explain it. Um, and then uh, he says in Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you to be strong and be courageous for the Lord your God's with you? Don't be scared. Don't be discouraged. So that verse right there, God commands us to press in. God commands us to press into our fear. Have I not commanded you to be strong and be courageous? God's got it. You have to take the first step though. You take the first step. God meets you in it and God will show up, but you have to take that first step. You know, what I love about your story, Paula, is that so many of us will have like 
five, 10 crisis happen, crazy things happen. And we're like, oh, you know, that's just life. That's not a sign. And yet marriages are failing. We're disconnected with our kids. We're sick. Totally. Things happen. It's like, and then we ask, why is not God not speaking to us? I always laugh at that. Like, <laughs> he actually, is. speaking to us all the time. We're just not aware of it or we don't want to realize what that is. And then I think what I love about your story is that I think that's, the adventure and beauty of life with Jesus, with God. Mm-hmm, We're always mm-hmm. like, well, we hope and trust in him. You know, God's in control. And yet we completely live our life with full control and us not trusting him. And I think that Absolutely. every time I've done it, anything, Paula, it's been, I've stepped out in absolute fear, imposter syndrome feelings. Oh, absolutely. And have had no experience in anything I've done all my life. And yet God's like perfect because it's not about you. It's totally about mm-hmm. opening yeah. up doors and getting people in to help you. And so I say this, I don't say this a lot, but I mean, being in media broadcasting, what I'm doing, I've never had any formal training in it. I've always started at the bottom, worked hard. God's brought people in and I've just worked on my character, worked on my craft and here I am. And so people are like, well, how did you yeah. get like, God, I've literally mm. impressed every step of the way. Well, that's the thing. That, that's the thing. When God calls you vocationally to something, he will equip you in the same way he was with Moses in Joshua 1, he's going to be with you. And you just have to realize that. So so God, you know, gives opportunities, he equips you. But I want to just go quickly, because you've interviewed some amazing people. I love that you've interviewed Reese Witherspoon and Hillary Clinton. And obviously, oh, I love this. Um the cast of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and the cast of Avengers Endgame. So jealous. They were like my favorite movies. Some of my favorite movies. Ah, some of you're a Marvel here, geek. I love it. I, know, I love it. Love it. We actually, my husband, we went through all of like the Marvel movies in like sequential order because you can't go back and forth. And we did that like, yeah. for, like, like a few days. So great. It was so great. That's so awesome. Um, I love it. Here are some people in your book, but also the interview that really had an impact for your faith and vocational calling. So just quickly who they are and how they impacted you in this, because I love that people helped you. What about Dolly Parton in the bathroom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Dolly um, taught me that sometimes we can experience fear, whether it's internal fear, like our own fears, fear of failure or external fear. Dolly Parton, um, you know, she was raised in poverty and she was told that she wouldn't amount to anything. And her, her song code of many colors describes that where people, um, you know, said that she wouldn't amount to anything. I don't think anyone had, had had any sort of formal education in her family. So those were external fears that she had to overcome. Sometimes we have to inter- overcome internal fears. But Dolly Parton was at Good Morning America, which is a, a prominent uh, morning show here in the United States. And I was anchoring this one particular morning and I had to use the restroom before the show started. And I knew there was somebody in, the st- in one of the stalls because I could hear them. There were three stalls. And I thought that they were in the middle stall because that door was shut. And so I walked into the last stall because it was kind of a jar and I pushed the door, the door open, you know, cause I'm walking and I'm in a hurry and it hit her square in the shoulder. And I was so mortified. I walked in on Dolly Parton in the bathroom stall. So I felt I was so mortified and all I could say was, Oh my gosh, it's Dolly Parton. Like I'm telling her this to her face. Oh my gosh, it's Dolly Parton. <laughs> I just walked in on Dolly Parton as if like she's seeing my thought bubble and I'm articulating my thought bubble, but she was so gracious. And then after the show, a couple of hours later, I'm passing her in the hallway and I you know, kind of put my head down because I thought, oh, this woman probably thinks I'm loony. And she, she stopped me and grabbed my arm. She's like, honey, don't worry about earlier. She's like, those that pee together, stay together. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> she was so gracious. But she's one that 
that taught me, you know, yes, we have to push through our fears, but look at the external fears that she was facing. And sometimes they're internal and sometimes those fears are external. What we're born into our circumstances, what people tell, what people think about us. Yeah. And they limit us. Good old Dolly. I love her. All right. Mm -hmm. Robin Roberts. Mm -hmm. Robin, um, you know, Robin is the main anchor at Good Morning America. Very popular anchor. And, you know, she was working in sports at the time. And this is a classic example of kind of limiting ourselves and also limiting God. Um, she had been working at ESPN, which is a sports network in the United States. And Good Morning America had asked her to start working in news. And she was so scared and she was in her comfort zone. And she knew, though, that she was being nudged, but she had to be um, kind of called out of that comfort zone. And it was a couple of trusted people in her life, um, you know, Billie Jean King, uh, you know, I'm talking like Arthur Ashe, you know, tennis legends that uh, she had run this decision by. And she was like, I think I'm good here. And they're like, no, you're given, been given this platform. Um, so two people in her life. And again, you know, I think you have to have people in your life that God can speak through, not just any random old person, but, but trusted people in your life that can have seen under the hood. And God can speak to you though, through those people. God speaks to us in a myriad of different ways through songs that you may have heard a thousand times before. And all of a sudden it's touching you in a different way. That's probably God speaking to you through scriptures, through sermons, through podcasts, through books. Um, through trusted, trusted people in your life. So I just say it's important to learn how to listen to the right voices and, and also, you know, in the right areas. Amazing. Jay Williams, who people, basketball fans know him. Yeah. Jay Williams. I know you learned a lot from him. Jay Williams was a um, college basketball All-American at Duke and was taken number two overall, I think in the 2002 draft, right behind Yao Ming. But he was supposed to be the next Michael Jordan. He was given Michael Jordan's locker in Chicago with the Chicago Bulls. And his rookie year, he got in a motorcycle accident and um, basically lost. He lost his career. He shattered his legs. He was never really going to play basketball again. Um, and he learned that for so long, he had this vision of his purpose was to be one thing. And he knew that... Um, it took a long time for him to discover and, and learn how to ask the right question and, and discover his true purpose. And, and instead of asking God, why not me? He got to a place where he's like, you know what, God, why not me? Because God took him in a totally different direction. And sometimes we think that we have this one vocational calling on our life, or we have this one purpose and um, God can do what he wants, when he wants with your life. And his story is one of redemption. And it's been incredible to see God redeem that situation and restore it. And he's that he's, he's his vocational branches. He's an author. He, um, he is a producer. He is an on-air commentator. He is married. He has a kid. He was told he was never going to have a kid after his accident. So um, he, once you can look at tragedy and say, you know what, why not me? That's, that's something I'll take with me forever. And I look at people have asked me, you know, going through my season of hell, where I experienced a miscarriage and a concussion and a car crash and influenza and pneumonia. They're like, why you? And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a cue from my friend Jay and say, why not me? You know, God's, I think that your character is revealed. Um, and uh, I think there's so much to be said for how you respond to that situation like that. And um, that's really where your testimony can lie. 
a lot in your book with this person you talk about, but your dad. Yeah, my dad. I've dedicated the book to my dad, yeah. Ed Ferris. And, you know, my dad was a, was a man who um, was looking for something to, to ease his pain. And he was looking for peace. And he didn't find that until he was in his 40s. And he found his faith. And, um, you know, he was a genius. He was brilliant. Um, but he was a genius by, by mathematical standards. He was an engineer and he had opportunity to move up the ladder. And he, this was his decision. Um, he decided that he wanted to stay put and be home at five 30 with the kids. And I, he, he really rooted into his purpose and his faith calling just to love God and love people. And when he, um, passed away, my dad, suffered a massive stroke in the summer of 2018 and then February of, of 2019 he he died um, this stroke had just uh, he was unable to speak unable to swallow unable to eat unable to drink uh, he was paralyzed on one side and he lost by the time he passed away he had lost 60 pounds so he 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 had a feeding tube he was intubated and he sadly it was a tragic death, a death of suffering. Um, but I, the life that I was able to, I, I say in his death, it was a gift. It was a gift of perspective and a gift of knowing what's consequential and what's not. And his gravestone, there's nothing about what he did for a living. It was who he was um, as a person, things that don't change. Um, but he rooted into his purpose to love God and love people. And it was such a testimony in those last months where he had visitors almost every single day um, throughout this, throughout his suffering and throughout, um, throughout that time. And that was such a testimony because of the, what he really invested in was loving God and loving people. And uh, the last, the last conversation that I had with him before he slipped into a coma, um, it was Saturday, he passed away on a Friday, the day after Valentine's Day. And I, he was crying and he would cry a lot because he was in so much pain because his body was just shutting down and he lost, I mean, his body was atrophied. And I said, at this particular moment, I asked, had to ask closed ended questions because he couldn't speak. I said, daddy, are you crying because you're sad? And he said, he shook his head. No. And I said, are you crying because you're in pain? He shook his head. No. And I said, are you crying because you're just overwhelmed by the love and the memories and the people in this room and the life that you lived? And he nodded his head. Yes. And I thought, that's the type of life that I want to live. Yeah. That's the type of legacy that I want to leave behind. Not one that's marked by doing, but one that's marked by being. Yeah. Paula, when you look at your life in the past and your hope for the future and your present, what's your takeaway to our viewers and listeners? There's a, there's a lot in your book. I mean, I would just hold it up. I mean, great book of so many lessons. I have notes here. We'd even get to <laughs> But what would you say, you know, talking to the person who just is really struggling with purpose mm -hmm. and, and meaning and like, what, why am I, why am I even here in this world? What, what is, what am I doing here? Cause I know there's well, a lot of people out there. What would you I say? would just say like, I want to push back and release people from the lie that their only worth is in doing that their only worth is work, that their only value is in vocation, that their only calling is in career. That's such a lie. And if you buy that lie, you're going to end up burned out. Um, you're going to end up having failed relationships. Um, you're just ended for heartache. And 
I want to release people from that lie and tell them that really, and just really encourage them and equip them through the book, how to find true purpose and, and true calling that don't shift and shake um, during a pandemic, during a personal crisis, because we've all lost so many things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've misplaced our significance on things that move. So I want to encourage you, A, in knowing that like, you are so much more than what you do. Um, God could use you in a myriad of ways, but to really root into a purpose, to find a purpose and a faith calling statement that don't shift and shape, that aren't, that are unrootable, unmovable, they don't bend and they don't break. Before I would have said my purpose was to be the best broadcaster. Now my purpose is to love God and love people. And I introduce myself no longer by what I do. I say I'm Paula Ferris. I'm a wife. I'm a mother of three. I love Jesus. I'm curious. I ask a lot of questions. And I champion people. And those are the unique talent. That's who I am. That is never going to change, Melinda. And I think we have to get to a point where we can write out a purpose statement that describes who we are inherently that has nothing to do with doing. So good. You know what? I think that's the new thing now. I think for anybody, when you meet somebody new, it's like, who are you? Versus Mm -hmm. what do you do? And I think, won't that be- It's the second question you ask somebody. What's your name and what do you do? Paula, wouldn't it be great just to shift in all across church Mm -hmm. culture, society, work. It's who are you? And let me get to know Mm -hmm. you versus what you do. Because somehow we've equated your productivity and what you do equals that now you're valued and valuable to society. And I always think about my girlfriend, Nadine, who is raising an extremely autistic son- and she had to come to it where his value is just as valuable as anybody who produces something. He can't produce, he can't speak, he can't do anything, but he is just as much, it makes me most loved by God. Yes. And yes. valuable to God as people yes, absolutely. are at high levels. And I and that was a turning point for us. I think that's great. And, and, and if you have children, yes, society tells us our worth is work. What's your name? What do you do? But our kids, we continually ask them, what do they want to be? What do we want to do when they grow up? And we're also telling our children that their only value is in this one thing that they can bring to society. Like this is the only thing you're really good for. So stop asking your kids what they want to be. Start asking them, who do they want to be? I asked my, I, that was a big moment for me and just shifting. I don't care what my kids do for a living. I want to know who they want to be, the type of person, the things to define their purpose and know their, yes, their talents and gifts, but who are they? Things that won't, that won't shift and shake um, their character, their generosity. Um, and I think that's another way to really kind of get to and attack this systemic lie from society that our only value is in vocation and in doing. Paula Ferris, thank you so much. Um, everybody. Thank you. Book. That was so great. Oh, pup. Next time we'll have to, I know, I, I want to puppy and my husband is in the other room is like, no, no, no. This is Addie. Look how little she is. She's five know, and a half pounds. She's so it. sweet. She's my little fur baby. I know. You should do a show like that. I know. Paula, I, should, I should have just put her face on the, the, my oh, book cover. And that would have sold a lot more. Yeah. A million. Right? There you go. <laughs> that. Really great here. And then it's like a million because all the dog lovers. But thank I you know. so much. You know what? Your thoughts, your your presence, your podcast. We're excited for the next, you know, steps in your season and journey. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. And thanks for supporting the book and the message. And thanks to everybody for listening and picking up the book. And I really hope that it not just encourages you, but like gives you some tools and helps to equip you. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. I sure did. And for more information about our guests and to read our blogs and resources and to watch our past episodes and to even donate to us, go to seeherelove.com. See Here Love with Melinda Estabrooks is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications Incorporated, a member of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities. To support this program, please visit seeherelove.com and click the donate button or call 1-800-265-3100. And from me and the See Here Love team, thanks so much for your support.